All right. Well, this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Brother Casey Jones. So Casey and his wife Bree are are members uh, down at University Baptist Church in Fayetteville. But this morning, Brother Casey is going to bring the word to us and encourage us, I trust, from 1 Peter chapter 1. So Brother Casey, would you come at this time? I'm honored to be with all you here today and to open God's word together. Um, As you heard, my name is Casey Jones. My wife is here with me with our son, Theodore. Uh, We just call him Teddy. My wife and I, as you heard, are are members at UBC, and we want you to know that we are encouraged by you guys, and we are praying for you guys. Today, we'll be in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. This passage has been a huge encouragement to me over the past year or so, and I hope it is to you guys as well. But as you're flipping there, I wanted to start our time uh, with a name that most of you may know based off of where we live, and that name is Sam Walton. Sam Walton was the owner and founder of Walmart, and when he died, he was worth about $15 billion dollars. He left an inheritance to each of his four children, Rob, John, James, and Alice, each of them getting a little over $3 billion apiece. Each of his kids are now worth about $70 billion. And among all of them, there are many mansions, there are vintage car collections, there are part ownerships of major sports teams like the Denver Broncos, and more. These Walton children were born into quiet the inheritance, an inheritance that most people in the world and in history couldn't even dream of coming across. But what I want to convince you all of today is that the Walton family inheritance is a speck in in comparison to the inheritance secured for you in Christ. That our inheritance in Christ isn't subject to a flourishing or a plummeting stock market or wars halfway across the world or even a father who decides not to give an inheritance. Our inheritance is infinitely more sure, infinitely more secure, and infinitely more rich. So let's read of this glorious inheritance now. Follow along in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The main point I want us to see from this text today is this, that suffering Christians have great hope and cause for praise because they're always in God's hands. Suffering Christians have great hope and cause for praise because they're always in God's hands. 
And I want to show you the truth of this statement by walking through the passage with three points. These three points will be the beginning, the end, and the in-between of the Christian life. So point one will be the beginning of the Christian life, and that will be in verse three. Point two will be the end of the Christian life, which will be verse four. And point three will be the in-between of the Christian life, which will be verse five. We'll walk through these points by looking at each phrase throughout the verses and mine the gold that's in them. But first, understanding the context of this book will help us to understand our passage even better because it is in the context that makes these profound realities that are brought about by Christ even more ground-shaking for us today. So taking a quick read through all of 1 Peter, you'll see that Peter calls his audience exiles and sojourners. He says that they have been grieved by various trials, that fiery trials have come upon them. He says that the society around them are slandering them, mocking them, reviling them, and maligning them. So just with a quick look throughout the book, we see the context that Peter's audience here is suffering. They're suffering for their faith. They are struggling because they've been rejected by the society because of their faith. And the society has begun to slander, malign, and revile them. In other words, people have begun to speak evil against these Christians and begun at times to do evil against these Christians. And I want us to see all this because I want us to see that this passage applies to us today well. We live in a culture that is becoming more antagonistic to our faith. People are starting to feel more social acceptance to openly oppose Christianity. One time I was sharing the gospel in the student union just down the road at the University of Arkansas. And as I was, I was sharing the gospel, the person at the table next to us was overhearing it. And she got up and told me that I was an unscientific, closed-minded bigot for simply sharing the truths of the gospel. Or the time when I was a student at the U of A and I had the chance to share the gospel with a professor and so I did. And he replied to that gospel by telling me that I could go somewhere halfway around the world to a tribe of people who only know how to eat, sleep, and breathe, and they may believe that, but anyone with any form of education would never believe that gospel. We, like Peter's audience, can feel this mounting social pressure, this simmering disgust of our beliefs, And at times, grievous trials are brought on by this hate. It's here in this dark place that Peter speaks into. And notice, too, how he does so. He doesn't point the finger at those people, at the people in the world outside of the church. He doesn't talk about how we're losing battles in society or how the government may be erring. No, he praises the first thing Peter saw fit to speak to these people in this dark situation is praise. Praise for the God in whose hands we are in from beginning 
to the end. The Christians in Peter's day and we today have plenty to praise God for. So in light of this, Peter begins the body of his letter with these words, which will begin our first point for today, the beginning of the Christian life. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the headwaters of this passage. Everything flows from this statement. Everything that comes after this in our passage today is simply explaining why we praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter sees fit to have as the very first thing he tells his audience. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless him, for he has abundant mercy on us. Bless him, for he has caused us to be born again. Bless him, for we have a living hope in his Son, Jesus Christ, who he sent to die for us and then raised him from the dead. Bless him for securing for us in his Son an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Bless him that that very inheritance is kept in heaven with him out of the reach of this world. Bless him for he keeps us and he is bringing us to the completion of our salvation that is ready to be revealed. Bless him. Bless him. Christians, isn't there much to praise God for? Do we not have an endless well to praise God from? And it is in all this, Peter says, just after our passage in verse 6, that we rejoice even when we are going through grievous trials. So when we see the world around us mocking, reviling, slandering, speaking, and doing evil against us and, and God's children, you can still rejoice because all of what this passage says is still true. The world cannot change the realities that have come about for those who are in Christ. The realities in this passage for the Christian were true yesterday, are true today, and will be true tomorrow and into eternity. That is certain. So praise God. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's go now to the abundant reasons for joy and praise by looking at the rest of this passage phrase by phrase and beginning with, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is the first reason to praise God, that in his mercy towards us, he has made us alive. He has caused us to be born again. This is not speaking of being physically born into the world by your mother. This language of born again actually comes from Jesus in John 3. There Jesus teaches that the Holy Spirit must come and cause us to be born again spiritually. He makes us spiritually alive, a new creation. This is what happens at salvation when we're saved. God must show us mercy he must cause us to be born again. Left to ourselves, we would harden our hearts and continue to rebel. 
Even the language of born again denotes that we did nothing to contribute to this. I've never once asked my mom to thank me or acknowledge me for my own birth. That makes no sense. We don't do that. It was all her. She did all the work. If you're a Christian here today, then know that you were born again by the Spirit, by His power. Scripture is clear. It also describes us in Ephesians 2 as dead. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a dead man do anything. Dead people are dead. They do nothing. They can't do anything. Only God can make us alive. God must cause us to be born again because we are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in all things incapable of doing it ourselves. So praise God. Praise God if you're a Christian here today. It is because God lavished his mercy upon you and caused you to be born again. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to maybe even this afternoon, think back through your testimony. Think about what God has brought you out of. How being dead played itself out in your life. The depths of your sinfulness and the path that you were on. And consider to where that path was leading. You were blindly wandering into an infernal pit of eternal fire. You were miserable, pitiable, and destitute. But God had mercy on you. He stooped down and made you alive, opened your eyes, and put you on the right path. He caused you to be born again. So bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him that you have been made alive. But you could ask at this point, we were born to what? We were born into what? The Walton children were born into an inheritance that was pretty sizable. But what are Christians born into? Well, let's look to the next phrase to begin answering that question. Peter tells us that we are born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been born again to a living hope. And this was brought about by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God's mercy incarnate. It helps if we break this phrase down a little bit. So it says we were born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That word through is very important. We have this living hope because Jesus' resurrection. It is through his resurrection that we have a hope. Your hope is alive because your Savior is alive. Your hope is alive because your Lord did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. Everything in this passage is made possible by Jesus. By his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And scripture explains that all who are children of God are made as children by being united to Jesus, to his son. 
This phrase introduces to us a glorious doctrine that Christians throughout all of history have marveled at, and that is union with Christ. When we believe in the gospel, God unites us to his son. Scripture normally talks about this by saying that we are in Christ. Any and all benefits that we receive in the Christian life are because we are united with Christ. Listen to what the the great theologian John Owen said of union with Christ. This is what he said. This is the cause of all other graces that we are made partakers of. They are all communicated unto us by virtue of our union with Christ. Hence is our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, our fruitfulness, our perseverance, our resurrection, and our glory. Friends, because we are in Christ, we receive what Christ receives. His perfect life, for example, is our perfect life in him. And because he rose from the grave, we too can be sure that we will rise from the grave. Because he reigns, Scripture says that we will reign with him. Our Scripture reading today from Ephesians sums it up well by saying the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is our living hope our glorious inheritance, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have living hope because Jesus is living. We have an an inheritance because Jesus received an inheritance. So praise God that he sent his son to die for us. Praise the son that he humbled himself and became a man. Praise him that he remained sinless for us that he went to the cross and laid down his life for us. Praise him that he took his life back up and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he sits now interceding for all of us. Praise God. It is because of Jesus that any of this passage is true for us. It is because of the Father that any of this passage has come about. And it is because of the Holy Spirit that any of this passage is applied to us. So praise God for the resurrection because it brings you to a living hope. But let's look now to our next point. The end of the Christian life. And this is in verse 4. Peter says that we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the end of the Christian life, where it's all heading to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Christian, you have an inheritance stored up for you in heaven, waiting for you. It too is in God's hands, just as you were in God's hands at the beginning of the Christian life. And this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. If in this life we suffer loss because of our faith, we have a much greater reward than anything we could suffer here. The loss of status or reputation, 
the loss of respect or a dream, the loss of possessions or property, the loss of even health or life. None of it compares to the glory and joy of what is coming. Any hope of status and reputation that we have in this world will be infinitely surpassed when we are exalted with Christ and reign with him. Any dream of fame or riches in this world will become foolishness to us when we see the riches of our inheritance. Any impulse to hold with white knuckles our, our money, possessions, or property will be revealed to be futile when our eternal reward is revealed. Friends, don't hope in the things of this world. Peter shows us that the Christian's hope lies in the next world, the new world, the perfect world. The things of this world perish. They have an expiration date. They rot, they rust, and they decay. Peter will actually say in his next letter that it will all melt away in the heat of the glory of Christ when he returns. The things of this world are defiled. They're spoiled. They won't satisfy but longer than a moment. They are fading, consistently losing their luster, their value, their shine. But our inheritance is imperishable. It has no expiration. It will last forever. Our inheritance is undefiled, not spoiled. The joy of it is unmixed with spot or blemish. It is pure joy, something we can't even fathom in this life. It isn't even tainted by any sin. We won't be hurt, let down, disappointed, or unsatisfied with it. It is undefiled. Our inheritance is unfading. The heights of joy and satisfaction will never diminish. It will never decrease, but it will ever increase. In no way will it ever become boring, lose its appeal, or become any less satisfying. When I was a young boy, I would go to my grandmother's house often. And one day, she brought me a bowl of ice cream. And of course, I was very excited for it. But when she set that bowl in front of me, my heart dropped because I saw that ice cream was green. To my young mind, that was nasty, and I didn't want it. But what I didn't know is this was a bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream. So, with much hesitation, I touched my spoon to it and brought it to my mouth. And when that sweet glory hit my tongue, my eyes were glowing. I was in love. I ate bowl after bowl. With great joy, I ate that ice cream. But as I kept eating that sweet minty ice cream, with every bowl, it got a little less sweet. And it even started to become somewhat nauseating. I was confused. I knew that I liked this ice cream, so I pressed on. 
And I continued on until it eventually made me sick. And even to this day, mint chocolate chip ice cream makes me feel slightly nauseous. Our inheritance is not like this. We will eat of it day after day, and it will only become sweeter, better, and even more joy-producing. This is our inheritance. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Don't hope in or look to the things of this world to satisfy you. Look to your inheritance in Christ. The well-known missionary Jim Elliott knew this well and profoundly summed this up when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So look forward to your inheritance. Think of it often. This is actually what Peter tells his audience to do by way of application down in verse 13 in chapter 1. He tells them to prepare their minds for action, which is the action of suffering for righteousness' sake. But notice how he says they are to prepare by setting their hope fully on the grace that will be brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So friends, maybe you haven't experienced much opposition, slander, reviling, maligning from unbelieving family, friends, coworkers, or strangers, but know that it is coming. If you are a faithful Christian, it will come. Peter says, prepare for it. Don't react to it in the moment, but prepare before it is here. And you are to prepare by setting your hope fully on this inheritance our passage is explaining. Think about it. Daydream about it. Read about it. Search the scriptures for it. Talk about it. Teach on it. Listen to teaching on it. It must saturate our minds. It must be often in our thoughts. And then it will become more and more a reality, a reality to us and begin to impact our daily lives. It's like this. My wife and I just had our first baby three months ago. And he's amazing. We love him so much. When Bree found out she was pregnant back in this uh, last May, we celebrated. And we celebrated even with tears of joy. With that news, our lives changed. Bree began not eating or drinking certain things. We began uh, going to the doctor to make sure things were going well. Our conversations together began to revolve uh, around our coming baby, how excited we were, what it would be like, and what we wanted to do with him. We would daydream about him, about being parents, and because of our excitement, we very often joyfully told people that Bree was pregnant, that there was a baby on the way. We told everyone, family, friends, coworkers, cashiers, we couldn't not talk about him. We began preparing for his coming. We moved everything out of our spare room and began filling it with baby things. And as we got closer and closer to that due date, 
the, anti- the anticipation was almost unbearable. There were even tears shed because we, de- we desired so much that he would come already. And then he came. And it was a joy. Friends, is it not even more true with this inheritance that is coming? We ought to look forward to it with all eagerness. Talk about it with overflowing joy. Live life in light of it, preparing for it. Ridding ourselves of sin and worldliness. Putting on the new self. And notice too, that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. Think about the implications of that. Heaven throughout scripture is a place where God dwells and his legions serve before his face. Cherubim, seraphim, angels sing his praises. All the saints of all time from all places surround his throne in worship. Jesus is seated on his throne where no evil lurks and no stain of sin or fallenness resides. This is where your inheritance is stored up, ready for you, beside the all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present God. Nothing of this world can reach it. It is out of reach of every thief, evil, and harm. Nothing can overpower God. No fallenness of this world will ever touch it, No rust, decay, no storm, no heat or cold. It dwells in perfect security. One who knew this reality well and lived in light of it was Jonathan Edwards. He was a well-known pastor and theologian in the 1700s in America. And Edwards made some biblical changes to his church. And sadly, many people did not like it. And many of those people were unfortunately unbelievers who were led into the church. They began slandering his name, making false accusations against him with hopes of running him off as their pastor. Eventually, they held a church trial of sorts and ended up voting him out as their pastor. And there was a man there that day that was asked, how did Jonathan Edwards receive the news? How did he handle it? And this is what he said of of Edwards. That faithful man received the shock unshaken. I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week, but he appeared like a man of God. And this is what I want us to hear. Whose happiness was out of reach of his enemies and whose treasure was not only a future, but present good. Is your coming inheritance not only a future, but a present good? Is your joy out of reach of this world? We ought to be the most joyful people in the world. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, out of reach of anything this world could throw at us. So ask yourselves, does joy mark your life? If someone were to ask those around you about the way that you carry yourself, would joy ever come to mind? 
If something were taken from your life, a car, a home, a dream, a boyfriend, girlfriend, health, whatever it is, would that thing take your joy with it? I pray that as we walk through all these realities today, that it would become increasingly so that we would be marked with a joy that is out of reach of our enemies. A joy that is not only a future hope, but a present reality. But finally, let's look next at the last point, the in-between of the Christian life. The time in between God causing us to be born again and when we finally receive our inheritance. It says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded. Now we have this transition here that can be slightly confusing if we're not reading carefully. The passage says we have an inheritance kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. The passage shifts from talking about this inheritance to the Christian, to us. So we have this inheritance and we are being guarded, preserved for, and brought to this inheritance. The who is referring to Christians. So we are being guarded by God's power, but what are we being guarded from? Well, it can't be talking about suffering because Peter spends the whole book basically helping his audience suffer well in their context. What God is guarding us from is something far worse than any suffering we can experience here. Worse than any trial we can go through. Worse than losing our wealth or our health. What God is guarding us from is rejecting him leaving him, not believing and trusting in him. This is the worst thing that could happen to us. God is keeping us in the faith, protecting us from finally falling away. As scripture says, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but is against the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual forces So if you came here today weary, doubting, struggling with assurance of salvation, take heart. Your perseverance is in God's hands. He is guarding you with his power, omnipotent power. The same power in the beginning that simply spoke the universe into existence. The same power that scripture tells us holds all the kings and rulers in his hands and guides them where he wills. The same power that Hebrews tells us upholds the universe by the word of his power. The power that splits an entire sea so that a multitude of people can walk through on dry ground. The power that places stars exactly where they should be in the universe. The same power that poured out the waters for the oceans and commanded them where they should stop. This is the power which is keeping us in the faith. The power that is bringing us to our inheritance. 
to our salvation that is ready to be revealed. So know that you are in God's hands and take courage. Stop looking at yourself and look to the one who has declared you righteous in his son. He is guarding you. But maybe you came here today feeling confident, maybe even proud, feeling like you've got things together. For you, think about what it takes to keep you in the faith. It takes infinite power. God must guard you or you would be swept away. Be careful not to become too proud because just like those who came today discouraged and weary, it takes the power of God to keep you. So boast in him. Bless God and praise him because he is guarding all who are his, bringing them to an inheritance that is in his hands. But notice how he guards us in the next phrase, through faith. God guards us through our faith. Our weak, fickle, and weary faith. This is the wisdom in God, or the wisdom and power of God on display. That he would guard us with all power through our weak faith. Even a spark of faith is enough for him to sustain us. It takes the faith of a mustard seed, to use Jesus' words. Because with a mustard seed, God can move mountains. Or for our passage, because with a mustard seed, God can sustain you to the end. This is a profound comfort to the suffering Christian. You are in God's hands. He will sustain you with his infinite power through your struggling faith. And sustain you for what? The next phrase tells us, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded by God so that he can bring us to our salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter has explained so far in this passage that we were saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved all by the work of God. To the Christian here, know that your salvation is ready to be revealed. It is brimming ready to burst forth into our world. Jesus, the one who lived perfectly for you, who died taking your punishment, who rose from the dead securing this inheritance for you, and who ascended into heaven where he intercedes for you. He stands at the ready, ready to return and bring to completion the fulfillment and the consummation of your salvation. But if you're here today and you would not consider yourself a Christian, this is not true for you as of now. Rather, Peter speaks of your reality in chapter 4, verse 5, when he is speaking of those who are not Christians. 
He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the Christian, there is a salvation ready to be revealed. For the unbeliever, God is ready to judge as you stand before him, giving an account for your life. Are you ready to do that? Peter, just after that verse in chapter 4, explains that this is why the gospel was preached to them, so that they would believe and be alive to God. So I beg you today to believe in this gospel you've heard. Confess that you have sinned against God. Cry out to him for mercy and find that mercy in his son whom he raised from the dead. Gain the inheritance we have talked about today and find yourself in God's hands with a salvation ready to be revealed. All of us praise God for readying our salvation so that at any point we will see the realization of our inheritance. The Walton children may have a net worth of about $70 billion apiece. And that's pretty good, I guess. But those of us who are in Christ, we have a net worth of the new heavens and the new earth. We have an inheritance of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every step of the way, God is guarding us and we are in his hands. He is carrying us. He has caused us to be born again. He has secured an inheritance for us and he is guarding us now as he brings us to it. So praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you. We praise you that you've caused us to be born again. You've made us alive in your son. You've secured for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven with you, and that you are guarding us, bringing us to that inheritance to be with you for eternity. God, we pray that the truths of this passage would sink deep into our hearts and would affect the way we think, the way we speak, and the way that we live. God, make us more like your son. We need your help. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.